There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right, Craig, let's go. Uh, Are you hanging up your stocking? We're so out of time. <laughs> We're finally out of time. Are you more ways hanging than one. up your stocking on your wall? Yes, it's it is. No encore. <laughs> it's no encore. <laughs> it's no encore. Happy no encore, everybody. My name is Dave Hanready. There will be no encore. It's Christmas, Craig. How are you feeling? Season's greetings, Dave. Uh, I'm Thanks. getting quite Christmassy. Um, All right. It's been a grim week. I don't think I've seen the sun <laughs> in quite a long time. I'm um, overly tired, and I turned on Christmas FM this afternoon, Dave. To get in the mood for this episode, was it? To kind of get in the mood and do some like research for like five minutes, and uh, it was everything you would expect and more. Um, the first song that greeted me was a song called I Want a Hippopotamus uh, for Christmas. And then, like, the DJ came on, who I'm not sure who it was. I won't throw anyone under the bus, but it was kind of like a little Larry Gogan vibe going on. And uh, the outro kind of link was one of these. I'd like to meet that songwriter and really get inside their mind and be like, why a hippopotamus for Christmas? So there was some chat about the hippopotamus. And then we moved quickly into, like, a birthdays roundup for people. Um <laughs> It was very standard radio fair. There was a lot of... Oh, yeah, then there was a list of, like, celebrity birthdays today. I don't know if you know anyone these, Dave. But um, they opened with Italian fashion designer Gianni Versace, who is sadly no longer with us, was the line. Yeah. Uh, Brittany went turned well 40. For, went well for yeah. him. Congratulations to her. Yeah. Michael McDowell. Great. Yeah. It was um, it was interesting. I turned it off quite quickly. That was my Christmas okay. FM experience. 
Okay, well, you know, congratulations to all involved. Um, we'll try and have a similar experience on this show. It is, of course, top five Christmas songs on this episode. Best and worst. Craig is on best. And I'm the Grinch this week. I've been informed already. So I guess I'll embrace that role. And I'll bring you five of the very worst Christmas songs you could possibly imagine. I have such sights to show you you've no idea (laughs) but before we get going real quick uh there's a brand new before the encore episode out now with jar jar jr as conducted by the wonderful the amazing sonic architect adam shanahan that is in your uh, podcast feed right now so go check it out um also just to note um our release schedule for the end of the year i guess it's time to reveal it is it we've one more regular episode coming probably next week we need to just coordinate that yeah we'll see what happens there but um we are going to record our end of year episodes next weekend uh and thus try and get them out the week after and the week after so uh this is the penultimate i think regular episode of the show unless disaster strikes next week we'll see but uh i guess we can announce that returning to the end of year smackdown alongside myself and craig will be the one the only the contentious fireball that is zara hederman she'll be joining us for the final episodes of the year so i guess we'll see what she has to bring to the table i'm sure it will be I'm sure it'll be low-key. I'm sure there'll be no arguments whatsoever or disputes. And I'm sure it will be very entertaining for the listener. So that's coming up later in the month. Contentious fireballs we, usually are. <laughs> as we get I, ready I uh, to, to close the shutters down for another year. And it's been a hell of a year. And I want to thank everybody for staying with us. Especially this week, by the way, when Spotify wrapped, dropped. And I got to see a lot of people putting the podcast in their top five most listened to or their most listened to or whatever. Uh, It means a lot for us to see that. That's a very nice thing to see. Thank you very much for everyone who supports the show. And also to remind you as well that if you want to go the extra mile, you can do so at patreon.com slash no encore. There's a brand new episode of No Ox Court out now on that feed. Patreon.com slash no encore if you're feeling in the Christmassy giving mood to help out the show. No pressure at all. But the only pressure I put upon you, listener, is to just tell your friends about the show. Let's let, let's in, let's increase that relationship, Craig, and let's do so with a great episode ahead of us. And the like all great Again, episodes. Again, no pressure. <laughs> well, there's pressure on me now as the host. Um, yeah. Well, look, like all like all good podcast episodes should begin. We will begin with this. Hey, you heard about the good news? That's right, and it's time to haul Brian May over the coals yet again after last week's story in which we talked about him saying some contentious comments. Um, He has, of course, since uh, taken to Instagram to clarify. So last week, uh, he was at an ITV event and he discussed, I guess, described about how, you know, these days, Freddie Mercury, you know, might be a harder pill to swallow, etc. There's all kinds of ways of describing things in the world these days that might not jibe with that. And both you and I were kind of like, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's confusing, yeah. It was confusing. Um, It didn't seem like it was incredibly mean-spirited. It sounded like he was just kind of trying hard to... Uh, you know, make sense of things and got it completely wrong. Um, but he has now said that he was, in fact, uh, stitched up by a journalist, <laughs> that his words were twisted and taken out of context. And he said, and I quote, I was ambushed and completely stitched up by a journalist at the recent ITV event. It led to a whole mess of press stories making it look like I'm unfriendly to trans people. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
My words were subtly tri- twisted. Um, yeah. Subtly is an interesting word to inject in there, isn't it? <laughs> subtly twisted. One way or the other. Were they his words? Um, I mean, it seems like it. Well, I, I, I've seen a lot of people, I saw like this week a lot of people on Twitter and elsewhere saying that like, ah, oh, this is what this is what journalists, tabloid journalists do all the time. Like they do take you out of context. And they do. Yes, but they But what do. they generally, what they, I was going to say generally, but generally, you know, like if you're quoting someone, you kind of got to quote them. You kind of got to say what they said. And I feel like what was quoted was what he said. I think he just made a bit of a fucking mess of it. I don't think Brian May is anti-trans. I don't think he's a horrible human being. I think he just was trying to make some kind of weird modern day point and it got away from him. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. These things happen when you're at ITV's Palooza event, you know? Even the moments, (laughs) the spectacle's kicking off. We're heading into Christmas and um, he probably just got a bit lightheaded and started speaking and then just sadly for him didn't quite stop. But yeah, the statement on Instagram was, um, it did clarify pretty much everything. I mean, he addressed all of humanity and indeed existence and the universe as he apologised to anyone who has been hurt by the stories. He emphasised that his heart is open as always to humans of all colours, all creeds, all sexes and sexualities, all shapes and sizes and all creatures. Uh, we all deserve respect and an equal place in this world. Um Merry Christmas. I just added that bit. But yeah, I mean... (laughs) Happy holidays. I don't know what more he could have said, really. And we did give him kind of the benefit of the doubt last week, didn't we? I I mean, he seems like someone with his heart in the right place. Maybe, you know... Yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was tying himself up in knots. He was trying to be like, "Oh, if Queen was happening these days, we'd we'd be forced to have like you know, a, a, like a like a like a like a minority person." Or that like was that was of, the weird thing about a the different sexuality. Though, wasn't it? Like, because one of it his points Queen. seemed to be that, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, one of his points seemed to be that like Freddie Mercury would be seen as like tough to swallow because he was different. But then, by the same token, he was saying they would have had to bring different people into the group. It just made no sense. It doesn't make sense because, like, when you think about it, like, I mean, like, Freddie Mercury has been this kind of cross-cultural icon yeah. to the point where, you know, the average bloke on the street who might ordinarily have prejudice in his heart probably fucking loves Freddie Mercury. Like, like there was this weird thing where, like, it didn't apply. There wasn't. I mean, I'm sure there was. I'm sure there were fucking assholes who were horrible about him because of his sexuality and whatever. But at the same time, Queen did transcend the mainstream and became this huge thing and it seemed like it wasn't an issue and if anything Freddie Mercury may have made some people think differently in a positive way so it was kind of like I could maybe understand this from like you know I don't know like Avenge Sevenfold I don't know I don't know what they're like maybe they're sound but like Queen you know I was like it's Queen <laughs> like this, this, what <laughs> come on yeah. it's already there uh, but yeah look listen Brian May I think he just fucking put his foot in it and we'll, we'll let it go I also think the journalist probably reported what he said so it's like two things can be true you know um, but we'll move on to another person who feels that they have in fact been stitched up by the press and in fairness I think she has been for a very long time uh, we're talking Yoko Ono Craig she shared an article online I think also potentially via Instagram uh, which says that the new Peter Jackson Beatles documentary Get Back, which I feel like a lot of people have been watching over yeah, the last few days, uh, dispels rumours that she broke up the group. So a lot of people, I've, I've seen a lot of takes about this documentary over the last week and most of them have been absolutely gushing. Um, but some people have also said that, if anything, this documentary once again proves that Yoko Ono was in fact a hor- like a horribly uh, massacred scapegoat uh, and it was a classic case of a woman being blamed for men's folly. Um, 
I want you to comment on that, but I also want to hear what you think about the documentary because I think you have watched it. Am I I've correct? watched part one. Yeah, I've only seen part one. There's three parts, so I'm I'm just the two and a half hours deep, Dave. Um, I had a it's lovely Sunday. Quite long, yeah. It's it's very long. It's very languid, and initially it opens with a very like cheap. Uh, history channel kind of like recap of what the Beatles had been up to up to that point with some like very cheap looking visuals and I was like okay what's this going to be like and then you get into them in a big warehouse messing about having no songs and 20 minutes in you're just like it's just it's just like the biggest waste of my time and then it just hooks you in it's it's like it's hypnotic it's totally like it's so close to any kind of painstaking creative process, any kind of grouping of friends just trying to make something happen together. It's and like the quality of the footage is amazing. So you feel like you're right back there and they all look fantastic as well. And listen, I'm not a fan of like cigarettes and smoking and that stuff and don't smoke people, but they look so fucking cool. Just blaze it up. <laughs> you're kind of right back there. And um, yeah, I mean, definitely from part one does dispel that kind of, you know, Yoko Ono rocked up and decided to just warp John Lennon's mind and you know was was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of the band breaking up um, I think at this point uh, as the documentary opens Ringo's already left the band once for a different album George seems displeased um, Yoko was there with John kind of just uh, like as a supportive presence but like she's kind of just knitting for a lot of it and sitting around politely she's not interjecting John Lennon, to a large extent, isn't interjecting either because it seems I'm pretty sure he was on heroin at the time. So he's quite a mellow presence (laughs) compared to Paul (laughs) McCartney, who's very much in like, hey, guys, let's keep the band together and actually do some work. Yeah. And does you have any songs? (laughs) Like at one point he's talking to John Lennon. He's like, I was wondering if you're going to like come in with any like songs, you know, (laughs) and eventually he's like, "Okay, yeah, here's across the universe. Meanwhile, Paul McCartney's like, everyone's been talking about that moment when Get Back actually gets written. And it's just like very drab, very mundane weekday morning where they're waiting for John Lennon to turn up with Yoko Ono. And Paul McCartney's just sitting there with a bass and starts mumbling, trying to write a song because they've got no songs. And Ringo and George Board just look on as he creates Get Back. It's sensational. It's great. I've seen that scene. I I haven't seen the documentary because obviously it doesn't appeal to me, but I have seen that clip in the rounds. And I mean, I don't know, maybe the magic is lost on me because, of course, I'm a bit of a Beatles. <laughs> a bit of a lot depends on whether you just, like that song, no, because if you yeah, don't, then you're kind I, of like, I well, don't, he's just mumbling into a mumbly song, yeah, isn't he? <laughs> I, I don't like that song, I will say. And also, I've seen a lot of people online being like, oh my God, like, Jesus, they, they're sitting there and then they just bounce ideas off each other. And the next thing you know, they have a song. And I'm like, yeah, that's songwriting, guys. That's how songwriting goes. I get, yeah, that is very true. But I guess what's refreshing about it is with so many music documentaries and kind of band, you know, making of the album stuff, it's all talking heads. Do you know what I mean? Not the band, but it's just people sitting around like 30, 40 years later going. And then we just had this moment of like divine inspiration in the studio. And like we, you know, I played the G chord, sort of, suddenly everything fell into place. So to actually see it in to real time. To actually see yeah, it fair and enough, in yeah. such a way that it's, it's not really being, because the footage there's so much footage and it's so languid it it doesn't feel like there's this big hype around it it's not really spotlit it's just a part of that day do you know what I mean so there's yeah, something sure. yeah. magical so, so because, I guess in the mundane yeah 
exactly. I was going to use that exact word. I was going to say like because it's mundane and because something comes out of it that you're that you you recognize as a great song. You're like, oh wow, yeah. You're making a good point here, and I am obviously applying my cynicism here for effect to a degree. But I mean, like, yeah, it must mean a lot more to you as a fan than say watching like Bohemian Rhapsody, where like they have the scene where they write, you know, fucking we are the champions, or whatever, and, and you're like, or we will rock you, uh, which is a hilarious cartoon scene in the movie. But I suppose to actually see the actual footage of it actually happening with the people that that wrote it and stitched it together in that way. Um, but also, can I ask you, like, does that dispel myth for you? Like, does that almost make it a bit less magical? No, I think I think actually seeing them more as three-dimensional human beings actually improves it, to be honest. It, it does dispel a lot of myths. And I think that's what's good about it, because there is the Yoko thing. There is the thing in general of you've heard these stories about um, how the band made these albums how they eventually broke up and it becomes these very black and white tales and you kind of think oh at this point Paul and John were barely speaking to each other or yeah no you hear about that time like George stormed off and what you don't get is all the colour and all the real life stuff that's in Get Back where it's like well actually most of the time they're just like a bunch of quite pleasant seeming English blokes in their 20s who are actually having a good time for a lot of, you know, together. And there's a lot of kind of passive aggressive stuff, but then they might disagree on something, but they're just kind of joking about five minutes later and you forget all that kind of stuff. There's, you know, in the kind of myth, there was nothing about when, and spoilers here, George walks out and spoilers, yeah, he actually rejoined the band, but he walks out and they kind of don't know what to do. And Ringo's like, well, we just like split up his instruments and call it a day. And the rest of the day is them becoming like this noise rock band where Yoko is screaming into a mic and Paul McCartney's like losing his mind on guitar. And you're like, I want that album. I want McCartney and fucking Yoko doing a noise rock album. They clearly didn't have that much of a problem with each other. They clearly got on 90% of the time and they were clearly just normal human beings. And that's why I like it. You, um, you've only seen part one, but who is the star of the show so far? Well, McCartney's kind of the driving force, right? Because as I was saying, at this point, Lennon's checked out. I think he's like decided he's going to leave the band, but he's not really, it, not in an aggro way. And he's, I think, clearly using heroin. So he's quite mellow and uh, letting other people kind of take the lead. George is really interesting character, but getting frustrated, I think. Um, so Paul McCartney is fascinating, just through sheer work rate. And Ringo is a very lovable dude who's clearly the drummer that's realised he's onto a real fucking winner with his group. And he's just like, I'm going to be as lovable as possible and get on with everyone and make some jokes and keep time. And that's what he does. And it's a great watch. I'm going to be Switzerland. Uh, let's bring it back to Yoko Ono, though, who we started the story about. Um, how do you feel about her place in history? And do you think that this documentary... I was going to use the word exonerates her. That's probably not a fair word to use, but there are. I and you, maybe you can maybe you can tell me more about this because I've only seen skirmishes, sideline stuff. You're probably more invested in the Beatles' history. It does seem to be that she has been this pilloried figure throughout the years, and it does seem to be quite misogynistic. Yeah. What do you think about the whole thing? Um, I think there's been a sea change in maybe the last five, even ten years, where people have realised actually these were just a group of mates that had probably gone on longer than they should have in terms of the problems within the relationships, and there was problems there before Yoko turned up. I th- I think that attitude change gladly had kind of shifted. Um, but yeah, you're right. For absolutely decades, she was seen as kind of this wicked witch almost, this complete caricature of a person as opposed to an artist in her own right. And 
she clearly brought out the best, I think, in John Lennon, who was a very um, conflicted, problematic guy. Yeah, problematic character. I mean, he's he was open in, you know, in the 70s when, you know, after being with Yoko a bit and kind of learning to grow up and mature and become a father and kind of getting into his more peaceful stage. He was the one that openly talked about how angry and violent he was as a younger man in his 20s. And he came from a kind of broken home and all that kind of stuff. So I think his evolution as a human being, um, certainly by the time he, he passed away, he seemed to be in a completely different place. And that was after a steady relationship with Yoko Ono. So I think that was a great success of that relationship. That's a testament to her. And then, yeah, she's a, you know, very respected artist in her own right. I've, I've heard some of her stuff. I mean, the noise pop thing doesn't exactly do it for me, but some of her live performances are great. She's great on Twitter. I think she's great all around. She seems to be, uh, you know, in, there was that kind of, uh, she was on the outs with McCartney for a long time, it seemed like, or it was at least icy, but they seem to have made friends at this point. And um, a kind of nice ending to the story, I guess, all these years on. Well, maybe someday she'll be recognised as a national hero. But for now, someone else who has in fact received that exact honour is Rihanna. No new album but national hero status confirmed. Uh, This comes off the back of a very interesting news development during the week. Uh, Barbados, where she is from, is now no longer part of the British monarchy. It is now an independent state and is part of the ceremony, which saw Prince Charles there, by the way, for doing a handover, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Seems to have to do a lot of that kind of stuff. Just like the Commonwealth (laughs) slipping away. (laughs) Here I am again, apologising. Yeah. A lot of apologies. Um, Rihanna was, uh, as part of the ceremony, was named officially a national hero uh, by the Prime Minister, Mia Motley, who said, On behalf of a grateful nation, but an even prouder people, we therefore present to you the designee for National Hero of Barbados, Ambassador Robin Rihanna Fenty. May you continue to shine like a diamond and continue to bring honour to your nation by your words, by your actions, and to do credit wherever you shall go. She is the 11th person and only the second woman to be named a national hero of Barbados and she can now put the words right honourable in front of her name. Craig, are you happy and proud? And also, do you want that new album that seems to never be happening? I mean, yes and yes. Right honourable Rihanna sounds tremendous. Uh, I must admit, when I first saw like the headlines around this story, some of the way it was framed seemed to suggest that they were just replacing the Queen with Rihanna. Do you know what I mean? I was <laughs> Fine like, oh, you've me. just become a republic, but now you're making Rihanna the kind of um, benevolent dictator, which I think, you know, if she wants to come over here and do the same job, that's grand. But no, it's, it's as you say, she's the 11th person, so rarefied air, um, to become a national hero. And... I guess doing it at that ceremony just kind of draws attention to the whole thing. So it's a good, I mean, good PR work by Barbados. Um, if they had of, if the prime minister had a dropped the news that like, Nuriana, I'll melt now. I mean, that would have been tremendous. <laughs> what a first act from a new republic. <laughs> they should have done that. Uh, in other news this week, um, we talked last week about Rod Stewart and uh, his pa- his penchant for making love to his wife, like 15 <laughs> men. <laughs> he did, uh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, he's gone on the attack in a different way this week. He's gone after uh, our own Royston Keane. So uh, football fans of this show will probably know that last weekend, after Manchester United battled to a valiant 1-1 draw at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea, uh, Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher got into it on Sky Sports for the benefit of social media and engagement. Uh, They had a big row. They were screaming at each other. I thought it was kind of embarrassing. People seem to like it, though. Uh, Rod Stewart, however, has called Roy Keane a bully 
and said, uh, you know, I admired him as a player, but he's a bit of a bully. I think there's a way of speaking your mind and then there's a way of speaking your mind and he's far too aggressive. He was an elite player. But do you think he could be a good manager with that approach? Well, Rod, we have the answer because he has managed before yeah, terribly, so not. Um, what do you think about Rod Stewart getting involved here? Uh, I think we've talked before on this show about how Rod Stewart is ultimately probably a bit of a kitten. He's a bit of a meek man. I kind of fear for him if Roy Keane decides to go after him. What do you think? Rod's an interesting one because, yeah, huge football fan. We've spoken before about how he's got an actual um, full-size football pitch, like, out his back garden. And he's spoken before about how he's, like, it suddenly dawned on him that he didn't know enough people that would he's ever no want one to, to play. play with. So him and the dogs <laughs> just so run so around on it. Um, he's been doing the rounds promoting his new album. So I've caught him in some, like, unlikely places. He was on Ezra Koenig's podcast. Uh, or internet radio show, should I say. And he was talking about he's he's really into model trains and model railways as well. Um, like, it's so much so that he brings them all on tour with him and he has a separate hotel room set up just with his model trains, which is fascinating. And then I stumbled across a thread where people were, like, baffled by lyrics from his new album, do you want a taster of the chorus of... Well, after last week's lyric taste, I do, yeah. <laughs> Cuckoo-arama-bama. Yeah. Cuckoo-arama-bama, Dave. All right. <laughs> the chorus goes, There's a fire down below. There's a fire down below. Sex is cool and sex is nice. Sex will leave you in paradise. Sex is good for everyone. Come on, people. Let's have some fun right now. Cuckoo-arama-bama, whatever it is. And it goes on in that fashion. So he hasn't lost it. You were saying he's no. a bit of a meek kitten. Bit of a sex kitten, you asked me, Okay, Dave. okay, okay. Right. no, Move right. Uh, uh, let's close off the new section with a wholesome news story <laughs> because I feel like I need to take 17, 15 showers, as it were. Um, like oh, he's also a Tory, men. apparently, which is Oh, bad. is he? Yeah. For fuck's sake, yeah, who is Yeah, Celtic isn't? fans don't like him. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, they don't like Anthem. Um, Taylor Swift has sent Don McLean flowers and a handwritten note after breaking his Hot 100 record. Uh, her new song, All Too Well, the 10-minute version, you know, the Taylor's version thing, yeah. dethroned Don McLean's uh, eight-minute track, American Pie Parts 1 and 2, held the top position. It's the longest number one entry. So, like, the longest song, essentially. So, uh, speaking to Billboard after his defeat, Don McLean said, there's something to be said for a great song that has staying power. American Pie remained on the top for 50 years. I think it's just celebrated its 50th anniversary. And now Taylor Swift has unseated such a historic piece of artistry. Let's face it, no one ever wants to lose the number one spot. But if I had to lose it to somebody, I sure am glad it was another great singer-songwriter such as Taylor. So he put up a photograph on Twitter of him smiling with these flowers that kind of looked crap, if, if I'm honest with you. Oh. And this handwritten note, that looked like it was written by a serial killer, which said... Uh, and I quote Don I will never forget that I'm standing on the shoulders of giants your music has been so important to me sending love from one writer of long songs to another your fan Taylor now the Swifties online as they are very quickly deduced that it wasn't her handwriting at all yeah (laughs) so Taylor Swift has a potential serial killer working for her on her team yeah probably yeah okay Um, yeah no I I thought it was going there Um, does this feel kind of Passive aggressive, or no? I guess she means well because <laughs> no, you know she means well. Don't be quite. Sorry, no, 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 no. Sorry, Craig, Craig. Write the fucking note yourself. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> Come on. Particularly when she is so canny uh, in terms of social media, and she must know, and the team must know that he's likely to put this up online, and then the Swifties are going to pour all over it. Right. That's why I'm thinking: is there some? I don't know. 
Don McLean's been very magnanimous. We've spoken before about this guy as well, and fair to say he's a bit of an American Tory, right? Isn't he? He's like he's not the best dude, I think. His, you know, remind me. Um, his ex-wife made some accusations about him. I oh, think no. a, only about a year previously. Um, I won't get into all of them, but I think one of them that was established was that he completely cut off his daughter and just um financially and stuff. And she there was some very very biting comments and just. There's been stories about Don McLean over the years. He's um, a bit of a curmudgeon, I think, at best, right? Um, even that statement is just, like, quite self-aggrandizing in his little post-match interview about the defeat, where it's, you know, such a historic piece of artistry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad he's been dethroned, even if it is by Taylor. <laughs> I did like the last line of this story, though, which you, you kind of alluded to earlier. Don McLean is currently celebrating the 50th anniversary of American Pie. Like, it's a perpetual celebration. Like, right now, yeah, he's currently sure. celebrating all year long. <laughs> he's just, like, on a bouncy <laughs> castle. You reached 50 for, years, baby! <laughs> reached for comments. He said, yeah. So, hang on, by the way, before we move on, uh, American Tory sounds like a hell of a split album between oh. Rod Stewart and Don McLean doesn't it I'm here for it yeah I would listen not. to at least two tracks of that <laughs> <laughs> okay well why don't we listen to some Christmas songs Craig because my question to you and to you listener is are you hanging up your stocking on your wall it's time we've no album review this week because we've pretty much pulled the shutters down on new, on new album reviews we'll be moving to our end of year episodes quite soon it's been a hell of a year but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks for now though it's time for me to get sad because I find Christmas to be a very melancholic time of year and yet I have, in fact, agreed to this top five. Craig, how did you ever talk me into this? Um, I said you could do worst, and you jumped at the chance. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, It was yeah. your turn, in fairness. And uh, so it worked out really well. And it's obviously a huge topic that we kind of had to cover. The time is right. Um, the moon is right. The moon is right. Paul McCartney. I don't know if we'll get there. But yeah, it's um, rich pickings, I guess. My approach on best was... There were so many different ways I could go because I could have gone the full bore hipster thing of just finding really well written songs that allude to Christmas or just have, you know, wintry settings. I decided to go Christmas songs. Do you know what I mean? I th- these have to be things I will put on when I want to get in the mood for the season. Do you know what I mean? So I think this might be the closest I veer in terms of best songs towards like guilty pleasure territory but I don't believe sure. in guilty pleasure and I don't know if you do either but um no so uh, we're, we're I wanted to steer clear of like d- diving into you know the back catalogue of like Low or something and finding some like really well written indie song they had referencing Christmas 20 years ago do you know that kind of thing like I did sure, sure. that's not it's not in keeping with the season of perpetual hope Dave what was your approach uh, uh, my approach was trash. <laughs> this is. <laughs> I wonder will there be I, any crossover? I'm I intrigued. have I have a bag full of trash, and I'm going to gift it to all the listeners. Uh, I've got a bulletproof top five. I had to stop. I was like, okay, this is the five. There's no point in trying to find other stuff because I think I will just ruin what I have. This could have been a top thirty. This brought me back to the country episode. It was just an endless well of 
absolute horror. Did, did you and do some digging to get like truly atrocious stuff or were you just like, this stuff is so ingrained in my brain already. I don't have to, I can just write this list here now. Combination of both, I okay. think. Um, there are three songs. My top three actually are ones that I was very familiar with. But my, my first couple that will be coming up here are ones that I was not previously. And as a matter of fact, why don't I just horrify everybody with a discovery I made this week and much like the cursed videotape from Ring, mm-hmm. I'm going to pass it on to you, dear listener. Here's my number five in the worst Christmas songs. You know, it's really Craig who should be apologising, not me, because Craig picked this top five, and thus, here we are, oh with Bon Jovi and Backdoor Santa. That's right, it's called Backdoor Santa. It's a cover, would you Get believe? Get behind me, Santa. A- <laughs> it's a cover. It's a funk-style song written by Clarence Carter in 1968, uh, described as a superbly funky Christmas single and, quote-unquote, raunchy. It sure fucking is. Uh, some of those lyrics, they call me Backdoor Santa, I make my runs about the break of day, I make all the little girls happy while the boys go out to play. And then, of course, Bon Jovi really leaning into the C word there in the chorus. Um, I, I, I was flabbergasted by this. It was just, the song starts off like, I mean, imagine Eddie Van Halen's jump, but the song itself is having a cocaine overdose. Yeah. Like just this insane synth. Boop, 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 and then like this horrendous guitar. Bon Jovi clearly at the, 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 the height of, you know, slicked hair feathered hair and just like fucking horrendous slippery when wet pomp going on in the 80s it's clearly meant to be a joke it's clearly meant to be hey let's have a bit of fun with this clearly just uh, the height of excess but nonetheless i found it disgusting craig i found horrible. it horrible even garish. the sound of it is <laughs> it's so badly yeah oh everything sounds I need like a it's shower like i need a cold shower. i know i know i know i know everything sounds like it's at war with itself nothing seems to be mixed correctly everything is just larruping in it's like a, a, a christmas house on fire it's horrendous it's horrific and I, I felt it was the best way to announce this top five and you know i i won't apologize i think craig is the one who has to as i said at the top of the show i apologize that was really bad <laughs> uh, <laughs> couldn't believe what i was hearing and also Back you know santa craig yeah, it's it's kind the kind of um, take on Christmas that I was trying to avoid with my choices. Just in terms of like, as you were saying, it's clearly going for like an ironic look at us. We're having some fun with Christmas, but they're having too much fun with it, and to the point that like they should probably be arrested. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to steer clear of those kind of ironic songs. I have one like indie hipster token choice it's not even indie hipster it's just like people that would listen to the show will probably like this artist but I still had strict rules to adhere to right oh, so strict my first rules. one okay. yeah I mean yeah, well everyone knows the only way to fully maximise the wonder of the most wonderful time of the year is to have strict rules Dave <laughs> <laughs> the fucking the chief medical officer over here everybody. yeah <laughs> but I was staring clear as I said of like Christmas tourists you know no one just having a go right no kind of classy ballads with a bit of like Jingle bells stuck in there, so I've got professionals with someone, only, is it? Yeah, 
professionals only I've gone with someone who has put in the work put in the hard yards and released something like 200 Christmas songs this is the pick of the bunch Sorry, I'm just going to interrupt here and quote Craig from approximately four minutes ago when he said, I didn't go hipster with this. Craig, do you want to tell us who this is? Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> it's Christmas <laughs> in the Room from an EP that was put out in 2008, I believe, but uh, also was included on the, the box set or the digital. I had a digital version when I had to review Silver and Gold, which had something like... 70 songs it was 160 minutes long it was three stars there was a lot of good stuff in it um, but it was tremendously long and this is a man who's committed to Christmas committed to Christ as well I believe Um, really interesting um, artist who kind of you know brings his fate into a lot of what he does so he's well placed for this kind of work I also think his sound lends lends itself really well to nodding towards the kind of commercial mainstream aspects of Christmas music. It's that primary colour thing. It takes in the kind of joyous jingliness of uh, the season. So, yeah, I felt like he was a good person to include. There's some quotes from Sofian as well, just talking about his take on the genre, why he's so interested in it. And he says, the elusive Christmas hit usually has an indelible melody, clever wordplay, and juxtaposition of conflicting consciousness, joy and heartache are sacred and profane. Christmas is a catch-22. We celebrate God-made man with luxurious feasts and revelry in the dead of winter when nature is least inviting. The best Christmas songs, even the secular ones, tap into this bipolar emotional field. Like I'll be home for Christmas, look sentimental on the surface surface until you get to the last line and realise the context in which it was proliferated. It was commonly sung at USO shows during World War II. It's about a sentimental love song and a depressing military anthem. Love the Michael Bublé version, which I just added that last bit. But he makes a good point. And I think Christmas in the Room is a really good example of that juxtaposition. It probably would have worked well as a pandemic Christmas song, you know what I'm saying? There's no decorations, no people calling around. But I think he gets at... He's talking about a different Christmas and, you know, we all choose to celebrate it differently and some of us choose not to celebrate it at all. But I think what he's trying to get at is how there's something compelling about like our human need to find like a cause for celebration at this kind of grim time of the year and defer to like a higher power, whether it's the birth of Christ or like, I don't know, a manic Ryan Tuberty on the toy show and, you know, engaging in mystical rituals of like paper hats and crackers and all that kind of stuff. So, basically what I'm saying, Dave, is that Christmas is really inside you if you want it to be. And if you don't want it to be, that's okay too, because that's what Christmas is all about. And that's my number five. Deep stuff, Craig. Profound. True, probably. Um, I mean, Sophie Stevens has a reputation for being a bit of a melancholic artist. Maybe not entirely fair, but he can certainly bring a room down. However, I'm going to bring the room all the way down with my number four let's go Merry Christmas I turned around and saw my mama's tears please daddy don't get 
trump is Christmas I don't want to see my mama cry Take me home, country roads. It's John Denver, everybody, and please, Daddy, open brackets, don't get drunk this Christmas, close brackets. Uh, Upsetting, I would say, Craig. An upsetting song. Yeah. Country. My face, my heart, everything just sank. Head into hands. Uh, country ditty there. A, a, a two and a half minute song. So fair play. Brevity. Um, yeah, a really fucking weird one, right? So this is pretty much the entire song. It's it's straight in and it's about this fucking kid who is dealing with a very difficult situation at home. Clearly an alcoholic father and a potentially abusive one. And I don't know. I mean, like, I felt bad. How does it end? Do I want to know? Oh, it ends with him just refraining the chorus. There's oh, no happy okay. ending here. He, like, he's just like, I don't want to see my mama cry. And it's like, okay, where's the happy? There isn't one. Okay. But what's weird about this is that, like, John Denver has a reputation, I think, for being fairly upbeat in his songs. I, I'm, that might be a blanket statement that I'm, that I'm not qualified to make, but I thought I would have thought of him as a wholesome kind of guy. So I'm going to quote now from an article from a, a journalist by the name of Alex Robert Ross, as quoted in Vice in 2018. So here's a couple of paragraphs from him. Given his ain't-life-something reputation, it shouldn't come as a surprise that Denver did not write Please Daddy by himself. The original songwriters weren't known for their pitch-black social realism either. The song is credited to Bill Danoff and Taffy Nivert, the then-married couple best known for fronting the Starland vocal band and penning Afternoon Delight, the massive... Nitrous happy ode to daytime sex. Uh, they first came up with Take Me Home Country Roads and after deciding not to sell it to Johnny Cash, gave it to John Denver, apparently. So why did Denver record Please Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas in the first place? He didn't seem to hate the holidays. Rocky Mountain Christmas, which is the album this is taken from, is an almost nauseatingly family-friendly record comprised mostly of standards like Silent Night and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. There's an earnest adult contemporary version of Jingle Bells towards the end. And on the record, Please Daddy Don't Get Drunk This Christmas is sandwiched between Silver Bells and a more twinkly and romantic Denver original called Christmas for Cowboys. He even starred in a Muppets TV special called A Christmas Together. So why did he write this song? There's no real answer, no obvious reason why Denver decided to point to a broken home on this, a song that he did not write. It's a very strange curio, and I listened to it a few times this week, Craig, and every time I listened to it, I was like, surely there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel here. Nope. Maybe it's just the country thing. Maybe it's like, you know, you know, throw the melancholic in, give me the sad story. But I just can't picture this being like a jukebox favorite, you know? I was going to say, what context is this playing in? When are people reaching for this song? I can't. I don't. <laughs> I'm not seeing the audience. <laughs> it's a skip, right? I mean, surely it's a skip the every time. The audience is, yeah, people that listen to no encore, I guess. And like Christmas is a difficult time. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to diminish or like belittle you know, the alcoholic factor thereof. And because, you know, there is, of course, you know, like, like, this is a dangerous top five, potentially. I myself find Christmas to be a very sad time of the year. But to lean into it to this level, and like, in fairness to John Denver, he commits and he makes you feel it. It's so unvarnished, yeah. But it, there's no, there's no ambiguity. There's no, no levity. kind of grappling yeah. with the themes of, yeah, it's just like, here is the scene and here is the horror and peace out, like. I will say from this point on, do not worry. My remaining three songs are a bit more laughable, but I had okay. to bring it down. I'm sorry. This is where we are. It's Christmas. 
it, yeah, it, it, it kind of reminded me of some of our worst religious songs and some of the horrors I unleashed on people then. So, um, chilling stuff. <laughs> Let's bring some levity to proceedings. I'm going to get mainstream, all right? This is where I'm going to just kick off my shoes and get in the spirit. Um, these are songs that I'm like actually drawn to of an occasion when I want to Christmas it up. There was one song I actually really wanted to include and I was going to include, and I was reading a How We Made It like Guardian article on it. And all the like below the line comments from Guardian readers were like, this song sucks, man. So here it is. Christmas Oh, I can't wait to see those faces I'm driving home for Christmas, yeah Well, I'm moving down that line And it's been so long But I will be there I sing this song It's like a warm hug <laughs> driving home for Christmas although do you know what after the last song I'm now thinking is this a dad with like some whiskey on his breath as he's driving you could go severe, very dark severe rage issues yeah, yeah yeah but no it's a kind hearted man and a kind hearted artist and this is very much embedded I think it's fair to say in like the heart of Christmas easy listening it's got that jazzy piano going on it's we're kind of behind enemy lines with this song but there's a bunch of factors, I think, that combine to make this pretty brilliant. So there's no getting around the voice. I think the voice is amazing. It's, it's you know, pack-a-day huskiness, right? It's, um... charcoal yeah. It's warm, it's inviting. It's, you know, chestnuts roasting on Chris Rhea's open vocal cords, levels of warmth. <laughs> uh, he does sound like a man that's perpetually finishing a night shift. Oh, yeah. That's why I think it works really well. Um, it's Craig... I'm worried about the drive home. I always have been. Yeah. I'm worried that it's four in the morning and he's fucking wrecked, you know? Uh, yeah, it, it does feel... And Snowing you know, he's got some really heavily. Like, strange kids and the gifts aren't quite up to scratch, but he's doing his best and is it going to end tragically? And I don't think it quite does. The story behind it, it's based on a a true drive, a true story <laughs> I can dip into. Um, but I think, yeah, another element of why it's so great to me, it's... It, it's desperately yearning and I think the key thing it does is that it's about the anticipation of Christmas it's kind of about the idea of Christmas it's not about being with the people it's about like the idea of something great coming in the middle of all this darkness and I think I mean most people would say you know even for kids the build up to Santa the build up to Christmas is kind of the exciting bit it lasts far longer than the Christmas morning which is you know the day itself comes and goes and people enjoy or do not enjoy that to varying degrees but I think the concept of Christmas is so pure and that's what he's desperately reaching for as he veers off the road or no he doesn't he stays <laughs> on the road <laughs> Jesus Christ give he me the real at, story here I want to hear the real yeah, story yeah it's it's pretty sweet story so he wrote it in like 1978 which was like a whole 10 years before it actually came out and he was a really struggling musician at the time he was um at Abbey Road but he had like no cash and his record label were basically like you're going nowhere we're not giving you any more cash so his wife had to come and collect him in like their old Austin Mini Um, he couldn't afford like a train ticket to get back to Middlesbrough where he's from he's obviously Middlesbrough's answer to Sophie and Stevens so she drove from Middlesbrough to London which I believe is about four or five hours of a drive 
he hopped in the car and they immediately drove back. So that was a long day for her. And as they were driving back, he just jokingly started singing, driving home for Christmas. And they like cracked up and he's like, oh yeah, there's something kind of in that. And he was like looking around at the other people and he's like, yeah, we're kind of all in this together. And like the traffic's shit and things aren't great, but interesting. And they got home and it was like three in the morning. They made it home. It was freezing cold. Um, and there was a check there, like on the doormat for like one of his songs had become a hit in the US, like a minor hit. And there was a check for like 15 grand, which bought them a house, like a proper house they were renting at the time. And everything kind of turned around from that point. He put the kind of the idea for song in the back pocket and revisited it in like kind of his garage in like August 10 years later with like a mate of his and they were like oh yeah this is this is the song this is kind of where it all started so pretty nice I like that it's kind of parochial and very British and it's they're driving to Middlesbrough but there's a reference to like driving down that freeway it's like there's no freeway to Middlesbrough but it works when you say it's uh, it's very British is it a bit Tory because like for me Craig my big criticism of this song is it's just supermarket music right it is, but I think it's smuggling in some actual substance, you know what I mean? And I think he's believable. I think his vocal totally sells it. He's been there. It's like, you know, hard fought. It's not Tory because it's very kind of working class and getting back to the kind of the mundane thing, I guess. It's just, it's the little details that I think sets this apart uh, from the kind of more vacuous stuff, the elevator music. But it's using that kind of format, I think, really, really well. I don't think he particularly likes this himself. Like, he's kind of like a blues guy. And I think his fan base, who are probably on those Guardian comments, are like, he's actually got way better stuff than this. Like, in the comments, someone said um, they named another song and they're like, it's a far darker Christmas song, but it's much better. Not exactly party stuff. And I thought, do you know what? Go fuck yourself. I want a darker Christmas song. I want driving home for Christmas. <laughs> You want uh, you want two for one at Morrison's and you're going to get do. it. But we're going to get next though. Go on, no one. I, I think you still have some more to say about this, do you? Yeah, no, there was a, there was a great quote from him like where he's, um, I think he only played it once or twice live um, and he was badgered into doing it one Christmas um, at the like Apollo or something like that. And he thought, fuck it, if we're going to do it, like we're going to go big. And he got like snow cannons. Um, yeah, he said, if I'm going to f- sing this fucking song, we're going to do it properly. So we hired 12 snow cannons. We put three feet of artificial snow into the stalls and the venue then charged me 12 grand to clean it all up never did it again (laughs) (laughs) so kind of bit by humbug but then um he he reveals that he if he's ever stuck on the road on like the m25 he'll wind down the window and start singing i'm driving home for christmas at people in cars beside him and he goes they love it it's like giving them a present oh my god i do love that that's that's pretty good uh i I want to say by the way I've only just noticed Craig's wearing a very nice scarf, by the way, a very a very wintry Christmassy scarf. Yeah, the heat muscle on. He's wearing a red and black tartan scarf, and he looks great. He's also lit by. Wait yeah, is your, check. is your electricity gone? Because you're you're lit by like what looks like candlelight right now. No, the heating is. Um, it's just the kind of mood lighting I need, and the heating has just gone on. I was so busy that I forgot to press the boost on it. So yeah, it was quite cold when oh, we started, man. but I'm warmed up now, Dave. The problems we have, and I yeah. have a problem at number three here. Uh, let's have some back of the pub bollocks, shall we? Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town.
absolute inexcusable nonsense from Bruce Springsteen there with his cover of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, uh, a song originally written by J. Fred Coots and Haven Gillespie in 1934, I believe. Um, oh. Bruce did a version in the 70s, I want to say. I think he might release in the 80s. Complete uh, garbage. Uh, just like horrific. And like... I don't. I don't need. I don't. Is he? Is he being ironic? Like, what's the point of having? Like, even the clip there gives me chills in the worst possible way. Where it's like, this, this absolute clown, you know, having a giggle, uh, having a stupid fucking faux Santa Claus laugh track. He can't keep it together, Craig, because he's having just so much fun. It's well, it was just very, so raucous. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Bruce does irony, does he? No, I don't that's think he's why he's ever done irony, and I don't think he's doing it here. And I like, yeah. As soon as the kind of the opening of the music came in, I knew which clip you'd picked, and it was that kind of <laughs> guffawing of like, "Isn't this what's so funny, Bruce? What's yeah, what's so a, fucking funny? I don't get it. I mean, like, I guess you had to be there, you know. And which is the problem. Any time you're seeing a piece of art where the people creating it had a hilarious time and like there was lots of in jokes and they're just yucking it up it's never good for the viewer slash listener it's not here and this somehow I think is kind of quite well regarded it is yeah like there's a lot of like US based lists that I noticed where I don't think they've quite got the exposure to some of the better stuff from you know across across the pond so they seem to just have, you know, this kind of very American-centric view of songs that came out. So this ends up usually placing about second or third in, ter- in terms of, like, all-time best Christmas songs. If you, look at, the, um, if you look at the, if you look at the, like, I, I know the YouTube comments are obviously, like, you know, the, you know, Dave's favourite insane corner of the internet, and usually you're going to get positivity. And, like, it's sad, because, like, you, you delve into the YouTube comments on this one, and, like, a lot of them are like, you know, oh, this was my dad's song, and he's gone now, and I wish, blah, blah, and you're like, okay, that's sad, and I'm sorry, but, like, people attaching these really personal memories to this i'm like what the fuck i get that bruce is your is your blue collar jesus but good lord (laughs) this is just beyond obnoxious and honestly offensive i hate it craig it hates me i hate it too i hate it it hates all of us really that (laughs) laughter you can hear the hatred the glee painful Um, painful stuff enough of the blue collar jesus let's get back to the real Jesus, shall we? <laughs> Lest we forget the religious aspect of this holiday. Um, let's get a little sacred. Let's enjoy the stillness. Let's repent and then rejoice. Here we go. Not <laughs> 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 to do it. <laughs> oh, thank God for that kick in. I was worried for a second. Oh man. Um, so this is my choice. So holy night, I do love it. But I was picking my songs last night, and I was extremely tired, Dave. As you know, Adam. As you know, I was on a shoot all day. I was out of my mind, 
and I was listening to Oh Holy Night and Oh What A Night got stuck in my head. <laughs> I had no time to pull clips together, but I spent 20 minutes dragging that mashup together because I could, I just couldn't. I don't know. I'm losing it. I'm losing it. It's been no, a it's long okay. year. Hey, Craig, it's Christmas. Like, like, It's a time for experimental music. Every time. Yeah. You need a bit of Frankie Valley in your life sometimes. But that was John Williams' version of Oh Holy Night. Um, it was written by Adolphe Adam and Placida Capo who were, I think, like the Victorian era Steely Dan. I don't know. It's a well-known Christmas carol. I think it's the best of them. I really love it. And yeah, I guess we have to get into the fact that this is taken from Home Alone. <laughs> One of my favourite films, probably my favourite film. It is the church scene. It's the it's Kevin's reckoning with old man Marley and the very thoughtful meditation on and conversation on fear and family and regret and Christmas jumpers that can get you beaten up as a child. And I love this version. It's that organ sound is humongous and that kind of like vibrating thing is great. I find it immensely haunting. It does actually give me chills and probably a lot of nostalgia tied to it, but it still does it for me every time. I think that melody is is unbeatable. And I wanted something that represented the more traditional end of things because a lot of it is dross, but I think we don't talk about it a lot. And yeah, you know, undeniably there's a lot of bullshit around the religious aspects of the holiday and religion in general. But I do think there's something to be said for like when religion's really firing on all cylinders and like creating, you know, awe inspiring moments, it kind of makes you feel small and like insignificant and that's somehow comforting. And um, I don't know, I think a song like this is trying to get at like a rhyme or reason to existence. But sometimes, yeah, the melody's just enough. And, you know, Celine Dion and Mariah Carey have covered it. And they can possibly be wrong. Um, I must ask you. I've always known you to know to, to know that Home Alone is your favorite film of all time, not just yeah. Christmas. But you did stumble there, and you said one of before you corrected yourself. Is there any film in the world that comes close to Home Alone for you? No matter what it is, no matter what the genre. I'm just like I, I need some kind of some kind of perspective barometer here. Yeah, it's Mulholland Drive, maybe. What a <laughs> yeah, counterpoint. What, what a double a bill. What a double bill. <laughs> that actually might be a double bill that happens this Christmas. Which do you yeah. watch first, though, is the real question there. Oh, God. I don't think you can wrap up with Mulholland Drive because then Christmas is totally ruined. Or at least that night, right? You're just haunted uh, eternally. I think you need the salvation at the end of Home Alone after the fever dream of Mulholland Drive. So maybe that's the way I'll do it. But yeah, I stumbled, I think, because... I stumble quite a bit, but also I think Home Loans in its own weird category for me where it's a it's a yearly watch and it feels in a separate box to like the more serious films, do you know what I mean? I don't I don't quite know what I'm getting at there, but it's <laughs> it's home loan, dude. It's its own category. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fine. I mean listen, we all stumble through life, Craig, and you're allowed to love what you love. Um did you watch the new Home Alone? Have you got around to that yet? I will never watch that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, back on the worst Christmas songs corner now for me, uh, my silver medal. Um, usually on this show, um, to avoid copyright strikes, we try and keep it to 30 seconds. Adam, I preferred a longer clip this week. It's, a, it's almost a minute. Um, I would like you to play it in full. I think we should test this because I think we need the full scope of this one. Uh, I really had my pick here. I've picked a specific iteration of it. Uh, the most recent one, I think. Adam, if you will. Christmas bells that ring there Are the clanging chimes of doom Well, tonight we'll reach in out And touching you 
Okay, Craig. So, um, you had perfect day recently in a top five, yeah. and you challenged me to name who you heard. This is Band Aid Thirty from 2014, and do they know it's Christmas? Can you name the voices you heard there? I think I only got to. It opens with Chris Martin, right? Yes. And then we have. Everything else was Bono. <laughs> Bono was just lodged in my brain. He's in there twice, in fairness, in that clip. So you also... Anyone Anyone else jump out to you? No? Not particularly, no. There's a very spirited vocal from Seal, who I love. I love oh, Seal. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I kind of want to exonerate him. Adam is correct. Adam has correctly guessed Ellie Goulding. Uh, Ellie Goulding, there, nice one, Adam. With yeah. a very Ellie Goulding, like, I've got five seconds, I'm going to get my shit in moment. And the wonderful Shane O'Connor, Adam. Yeah, you are correct. Shane O'Connor oh, was in there as well. Shit, of course. That was the moment I lost. Where it's just like the I know the it's context so... of Sinead coming in with quite a passionate like uh, couple of lines. Yeah, you know I mean? it's just uh, so like, off very, very spirited, and everyone's doing their job. It, like you know, I think we'll, we'll probably close the clip on Bono, but it moves into like Bastille and like you know, fucking. It's just I think Ollie Murs could be in there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. So do they know it's Christmas? Of course, is a song written in 1984 by who? Craig? Who are the two chief songwriters? Uh, Bob Geldof and yeah. Majur. Correct, guess, right? you are yeah. correct. And it was, of course, in reaction to television reports of the 1983 to 1995 famine in Ethiopia. Uh, huge charity single, uh, massive pop culture moment, lots of lots of celebs. There was another version in 2004, which had a bad Dizzy Rascal verse amongst lots of other bad stuff too. I think Justin Hawkins from The Darkness apparently had a bit of a row with Bono over who would get the big line. Um, Bono prevailed as he tends to do and this was the 2014 edition which had lots of people including like Rita Ora and various others Um, real quick before I get into the history further what do you think of the song like the original song do you think it's a good song because it pops up on both good and bad Christmas lists I don't think it's like objectively dreadful melodically um I think the sentiment was kind of okay I don't think those group things ever quite work it's way better than um the terrible American kind of version of We Are the World. I mean, that's just so mawkish and dreadful. I actually think there was some bite to the original, which they completely do away with in this version, right? So the, there's yeah. new lyrics. Bono is Bono had that kind of like killer line in the first one, and this time around it's changed. And I did actually, I always liked that line where he says, "What well, thank God it tonight, thank God it's them instead of you." Yeah, which was you know seen as controversial, but to me that always struck as like. Yeah, you know, isn't it good that you're in the position that you're in and kind of makes you think. I, people, I don't know, I always like that People line. really took issue with that line. They thought it was, I mean, you know, you can get into the weeds here. They thought it was, people thought it was racist. People thought it was obviously just really kind of punching down. But I would agree with you. I thought it was meant to be like, you're privileged. You're listening to the song because you're privileged. Give us your yeah, fucking like, money. Yeah, like, thank God it's them, right? Like, you know. That's the point. Yeah, I, yeah if anything, but yeah. over the years, Sarcastic, criticism. like, yeah. Yeah, criticism led to him changing it to Tonight We're Reaching Out and Touching You. Okay. Which sounds just gross. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of the original composition of the song back in 1984, uh, Polly Yates, who was with Bob Geldof at the time, they were in a relationship, uh, she was doing a TV show and Ultravox were on it. Midger was there. Bob Geldof found this out and so he chatted to him and basically was like, why don't we do something to help, you know, the suffering in Ethiopia? So here's some outstanding Bob Geldof quotage from the time. Following the meeting, Bob Geldof immediately set about recruiting other well-known musicians to participate on the song. Here's the quote. 
I then rang Sting, and he said, yeah, count me in. And then Le Bon, Simon Le Bon, he just instantly said, tell me the date and we'll clear the diary. The same day I was passing by this antique shop, and who's standing in there but Gary Kemp, just about to go off on tour to Japan. He said he was mad for it. Wait 10 days until Spandau Ballet got back in the country. Suddenly it hit me. I thought, Christ, we've got the real top boys here. All the big names the in top, pop. Boys. The top boys. In a private school or something. All the big names in pop are suddenly ready and willing to do this. I knew then that we were off. I decided to go for all the rest of the faces and started to ring everyone up, asking them to do it. So yeah, the 2014 edition that I've picked here, which is the most anemic. One Direction, Sam Smith, Ed Sheeran, Emma Lasande, Ellie Goulding, Rita Ora, Bastille, Guy Garvey, Chris Martin, Bono. Uh, you name it. Here they are. And the third time Bono pitched up, of course, because he won't miss it. Um, so this one was about the Ebola epidemic at the time. Um, and so it attracted a lot of criticism. Uh, people said that it was a colonial Western-centric viewpoint and uh, contained condescending stereotypical descriptions of Africa, notably that Bonner phrase that we talked about. Um, criticism remained despite things being changed. A musician by the name of Fuse ODG turned in a request to be there and said that the lyrics of the song do not reflect what Africa truly is. He cited lyrics such as there is no peace and joy in West Africa this Christmas, yeah, yeah, saying he goes to Ghana every year for the sole purpose of peace and joy. So saying such lyrics would be a complete lie. Um, lots of people saying it was unoriginal and redundant, reinforces stereotypes, it was just full of ridiculous outdated concepts. Lily Allen uh, refused to appear on it because she thought it was smug and preferred to donate actual money. Um an Ebola survivor by the name of William Pooley said it was cultural ignorance and cringeworthy. Bob Geldof responded to this Worse by saying... Than Ebola! <laughs> Bob, Geldof, Bob Geldof responded to this man and said, please, it's a pop song, relax. He said anyone critical of lyrics could quote, fuck off. Good man, Bob. Um, and in fairness to Bob Geldof and Midger, they themselves have in fact, have in fact said like, look, yeah, it wasn't great, was it? I'm responsible for two of the worst songs in history. The other world, the other one is We Are The World. Uh, a major has said, look, it's nothing to do with music. It was about generating money and that's what it did and that's what's what was important. But it's trotted out every now and then and even if it makes money, Craig, I think it's pretty terrible. So that's my number yeah. two. Yeah, I agree. Um, my number two is the song that was kept off the top spot by the original Do They Know It's Christmas? Wham, Last Christmas Um, Super classy, spectacular pop uh, That's also drenched in Christmas One of their best songs Other artists should take note This is how it's done Um, Amazing video as well With amazing coats And amazing longing looks And amazing um, dyed blonde hair Amazing everything (laughs) (laughs) And amazing in how George Michael basically did it all himself. So um, it was written by George Michael in his childhood bedroom. Um, he played the introduction and the chorus melody to Andrew Ridgely um, and Ridgely called it a moment of absolute wonder. And they recorded it in August, as most of these things are recorded. George Michael wrote, performed, produced and played every single instrument on the track. So you've got that Lindrum going, the Roland synth. It's one of those prime examples of... <clears throat> 
where 80s synth pop, pop becomes very tied to the Christmas season, I guess, because you've got those kind of icy synths used in a really buoyant way. And just, yeah, that always kind of, there's something quite tinselly about it. And it's to a tremendous effect here. I always, yeah, it just sounds to me like it's so tied to that kind of soundtrack of other Christmas songs, despite being better than absolutely most of them but it feels like you know someone the kind of narrator just moving through like their umpteenth christmas gathering of the year and like glancing across the room with someone like lost sweetheart and then you know i'm sure this is playing quite often in the vic in like the christmas episode of eastenders (laughs) you know you've got martin Martin glass being (laughs) killed on that episode or something Um, so it's tied to a lot of those kind of moments and it's tremendous. I mean, George Michael, we talk about him probably a fair bit on this Absolute show. fucking legend. And we should. Absolute legend. Sadly passed on Christmas Day, of course. And that was, um, yeah, that year that happened, which is probably nearly five years ago now. Kind of word reached people pretty late on that Christmas. And I, I remember, remember, I remember where I was, Stephen's yeah. Day just playing Plenty of Wham and George Michael. And I've kind of kept that tradition up a little bit um, on Stephen's Day um, over the last couple of years. So, yeah, he's tied to that day in a lot of ways um, now. And, yeah, the, the kind of the main thing that came from that, aside from the, the great tragedy of it, was just the amazing stories that came out about him just as a proper kind of lovely bloke and... There was a lot of, you know, here's the top 10, you know, best random acts of kindness from George Michael lists that started creeping up of just like the guy that went under the radar and just did a lot for people. And, you know, if that doesn't scream Christmas spirit, I don't know what does, Dave. Yeah, I adore this song. I'm shocked it's not your number one. I think it's the greatest Christmas song of all time. I think it's an absolutely perfect piece of music. I think it's wonderful. I think it's magical. I think it's amazing. I even love the kind of half-ironic, eyebrow-raised cover by that UK indie band that didn't quite make it, Peace, back in 2014. Oh yeah, that's fun, yeah. I love their cover. Um, Real quick, I will say, I I really, I've, I've alluded to it, I've talked about it, I've mentioned it a million times. I struggle with Christmas. I think it's a very difficult time. This song actually makes me feel good. It actually does. It doesn't like some Christmas songs do. Some Christmas songs and Christmas things do, in fact, trigger me in a bad way. But this song, I actually love it. It, it contains what I want to feel at Christmas, but don't always. And real quick, if I can be preachy for a second, for anyone listening who also struggles with Christmas, I'm right there with you. It's a tough fucking time, but we're going to yeah. get through it. Do not worry about it. And in fairness, if you need a bit of a laugh, my number one should do it. Any guesses, Craig? Oh, my God. I don't know. Okay. I need a bit of a laugh. Yeah, just give it to me. Let's go. Number one. The oh, fucking McCartney, of course. Of course. Of course, McCartney. That only comes the time of year. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. The choir of children. Well, yes, as Craig's reaction will tell you, it's Paul McCartney and Wings who didn't perform on this. It was just him, but he credited them anyway. What a nice Christmas gift for them. Uh, it, it's a wonderful Christmas time, of course. Uh, the track is regarded as one of McCartney's weaker compositions by numerous music critics, but it has been covered by numerous artists. Um, complete nonsense, Craig. Um, synth bollocks and just yeah, crazy just noodling. Yeah, talking about how associated <laughs> that kind of synth sound is with Christmas. They just sound like kind of phasers or like laser guns going off in the background for no real rhyme or reason so bad. I don't know what's but happening it's in so this bad song. but Craig people love this song it makes them feel like Christmas <sighs> it's not your number one is it? to it 
there's nothing <laughs> there's absolutely nothing to it it's just uh, such a you know we were talking about the genius of Paul McCartney or at least I was you were listening to me talk about the genius of Paul McCartney <laughs> we talked about Get Back and how he just kind of you know magic to get back into existence um, and doing that thing where he starts with the tune and then the words just fall into place and um, in that instance some interesting words and some that you can attach real meaning to and in this instance simply having a wonderful Christmas time means nothing the verses kind of mean nothing sounds a bit weird and witchy I don't know but it does sound witchy yeah, doesn't there's it no sub- there's yeah, a sinister there's- edge to this that I don't like and also but I don't think he intends it no. I think he just had a collection of words that worked and fit the meter it's so insistent as well it feels like forced fun you know that's another reason why I don't like it it just feels very like come on smile it might never happen I'm and, like, and it off. arrived in like the 80s when McCartney being around for so long like we'd had the, the John Lennon and Yoko Christmas song which is about you know Happy Christmas War is over and a decade prior this felt like McCartney going okay I might as well get around to doing my Christmas song do you know what I mean it just <laughs> so it's a box tick real exercise. kind of box tick yeah, yeah totally totally and you know it's a very lucrative game if you if you hit it off with it and like this gets played so much all people the time people do love this song all the yeah. time yeah for some people like it's not Christmas until this goes on nah man my number one <laughs> I just it, it, it upsets me um, yeah I mean like the, I have very little else to say about it it's it's a pox a pox on Christmas a pox on okay. House McCartney a plague <laughs> okay, on House number McCartney one. my number one is maybe the song that started that whole arms race for the Christmas number one and um, it's time we ask ourselves a very important question <laughs> Dave are you hanging up your stocking on the wall <laughs> <laughs> oh my god no <laughs> to be Dave it's Slade it's Merry Xmas everybody and it do, it does feel to me like the archetypical Christmas song it's the Ur text if you will came out in 1973 and was gigantic I think it sold like half a million records in its opening week at the time um, it's tough to believe it but Slade were Britain's coolest and biggest band and this was their final number one song and I guess they've been so associated with it ever since that you forget that they were actually a massive band prior to this song there's just so many elements that I think were then pilfered for other songs that are actually pretty decent as well it's kind of the granddaddy of songs going for Christmas number one um, being kind of anthemic with it but I don't think when I listen to this it's not diminished as a result and you know in the way sadly that Fairytale New York didn't make my list I do I know you have a huge dislike for that song I was talking to my cousin Caleb during the week and he said the point he made was Fairytale New York is either the greatest Christmas song of all time or the worst one and for a long time I was thinking as a piece of writing I still think it's tremendous I have a lot of love for it I went back to it this week and I can't enjoy it at all and I checked my phone first thing this morning and I was seeing tweets it already started, starting, yeah, it's starting about the whole controversy and yep. I'm just so bored with it and it's just 
all the context around that song hopefully one day I'll enjoy it again but I can't now but I can still enjoy this and it's just a very simple song it's got that togetherness thing it's it's the vibe of you're over the kind of turkey sweats just people calling around all top of the pops on you know your gran is kind of drunk on sherry it's those vibes uh, it was the same year as Wizards. Um, I was going to say. Yeah. I wish it could be <laughs> Christmas every out, day. Yeah. They came out the same year. Yeah. And um, I have a lo- lot of time for that song as well. Uh, but I do remember at the time as a kid watching those clips and Roy Wood from Wizard kind of terrified me. Me too. I was so scared. I was like, he's going, those kids singing along, he's going to abduct them after this. <laughs> I'm sure Roy Wood's a lovely fella and, you know, he was in ELO, great guy. But <laughs> Noddy Holder, though, and Slade, I was like, he's the cheeky chappy. He's the slightly drunk uncle calling around with like maybe an Irish football top or like 20 quid. Uh, he's the guy you want to be hanging out with. And do you know what? I do think it actually works on a few different levels because it has, again kind of quite a British record but it's got the kind of melancholy and the kind of look to the future now it's only just begun it's a bit of wishful thinking it's very kind of I guess working class and we'll just struggle through I love the details to it I just think it hits a lot of different levels and to me it just if I had to pick a song that kind of screams Christmas this literally screams Christmas. He literally <laughs> it yells, <does>. it's <laughs> Christmas. And I fucking do love that bit. Like, I actually do. And I love also the fact that I discovered this week that it's not on the original version. It was added to the reissue the next year. And of course, this was reissued and reissued, reissued. And someone made the point that, like, it's literally Naughty Holder screaming, I'm making a million quid from this song. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hear that joy. It's like... <laughs> And that's my number one. It's a great number one. Fair play. Thank it's you. kind of undeniable. I mean, I will say real quick before we get before we close off here, I will say when you said Christmas number one arms race, I was kind of hoping you were going to go with Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name <laughs> as some kind of hilarious, ironic throwback. But nonetheless, yeah, not a Christmas song. You've gone for a classic and fair enough. I think it was a classic list. It's a classic time of year. It's a difficult time of year. It's a joyful time of year. Make it your own. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Look after each other. Yes, I'm saying all of this on the 3rd of December when the episode comes out it's christmas everybody and i want to say a huge thank you to our own father christmas the greatest man of all <laughs> jolly old saint nick sonic architect adam he is the best he, is. <laughs> he gives us the gift of audio every single week and we are very lucky to have it so and to you listener uh, i hope you get everything you want this christmas we're not done yet though there are more episodes to come we're not signing off for the year just yet but you know stay safe look after yourself it's a stressful time of year it's a strange time of year some tunes in there, though. Fair play. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And I'm off to hang my stocking on the wall. Goodbye. Are you hanging up your stocking on your wall? Are you hanging up your stocking on your wall? Are you
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.